This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of the Zoomer Week in Review, heard every Sunday at noon on AM 740 Zoomer Radio. Good afternoon and welcome to the Zoomer Week in Review, all things Zoomer worldwide. I'm Libby Snymer. The heartbreaking image of three-year-old Alan Kurdi, who drowned with his mother and brother while escaping Syria, has galvanized an entire country. But what exactly does it take to sponsor refugees? I'll be joined by Ratna Omidvar, head of Ryerson's Global Diversity Exchange. Plus... Taking financial responsibility for someone takes a toll even when it's here at home. A new CIBC poll has found Zoomers are draining their nest eggs because they're spending so much to support their adult children. Today, we'll talk to CIBC personal finance expert Jamie Golombek and a Zoomer father about how best to manage this responsibility. But first, here are your Zoomer headlines from around the world. If you're a grandparent, spending some quality time with your grandchildren is probably one of the best things in your life. Well, here's news that makes it even better. Teenagers who have close, loving relationships with one or more grandparents are more likely to be well-adjusted mentally and emotionally. That according to a new study published in the American Journal of Orthopsychiatry. The study from the Hebrew University of Jerusalem surveyed 1,400 teens aged 12 to 18 and measured things like high hyperactivity, social skills, fighting, and bullying. It found that teens who had close relationships with parents and grandparents had the fewest problems. A caregiving charity in the United Kingdom is calling on more men to step forward and pursue personal service as a career. Professor Martin Green of Care England told the BBC this week that currently a lot of the people who need to receive care into old age are men and that many of them are more comfortable with male caregivers. He says that entrenched societal perceptions often prevent men from taking up caregiving as a career, and he's calling on government to lead a change in the perception of caregiving roles. This September marks the 125th anniversary of Agatha Christie's birth. And as part of the celebrations, her fans were asked to choose a favorite from among her long list of popular mystery novels. The winner is And Then There Were None, which depicts 10 strangers stranded on an island all accused of getting away with murder. As members of the party start to die mysteriously, the survivors realize they may be harboring a murderer among their number. The book was published in 1939 and has sold more than 100 million copies worldwide. Dean Jones, the actor whose boyish good looks made him a Disney star in the 1960s, passed away this week at the age of 84. Jones made his movie debut opposite Paul Newman in the 1956 boxing film, Somebody Up There Likes Me. He also acted alongside Elvis Presley a year later in Jailhouse Rock. In the 1960s, he starred in the Disney classics That Darn Cat and The Love Bug. He passed away this week from complications of Parkinson's disease. (laughs) 
I'm Libby Zneimer, and those are your Zoomer headlines from around the world. This week, a heartbreaking photo served as a call to action for Canadians of goodwill. That picture of the lifeless body of three-year-old Alan Curdy inspired thousands of people to offer their help, and refugee aid organizations were swamped with inquiries. What does it take to sponsor a person or a family? Veteran refugee advocate Ratna Omidvar laid out the details for me. First of all, you have to pull together a group of people. You cannot do it on your own. And that's actually a really good thing because it's too much responsibility. There's something called a group of five sponsorships. So is that the minimum? That's kind of the minimum, but you can be actually more than that if you want. But there is a government regulation that groups of five have to be pulled together to work with intermediaries called sponsorship holders to file applications. This is incredibly bureaucratic and technical. And you have to do a number of things. You have to first demonstrate to the government of Canada that you have the money. You don't have to have the money in a bank, but you have to at least prove to the government that you have the financial capacity to look after a family. I have set a goal for my, for my team, mm-hmm. and we are raising, uh, I, I think, on the low end, 30000 on the high end, 40000 All of this is determined by the size of the family that you are sponsoring. What is a rule of thumb in terms of how much money you need? So the federal government says that to sponsor one individual, you need $12,700. And to sponsor a family of four, you need $27,000. However, when you think of the cost of housing in a big urban center like Toronto or even Vancouver, that money becomes really unrealistic. So, you know, groups then set their own realistic target. Other groups say, well, I have an apartment or I have two rooms in my house. So people make formal, informal arrangements. You're Mm -hmm. basically agreeing to support a family for a year, whatever it takes. Yes. The commitment is for one year. During that one year, the family may not access social welfare. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, you're really pitching in as the proxy for the government. Uh, you are responsible for picking them up from the airport, for, the, for providing temporary shelter, for getting them kitted for the winter, for making sure that children are registered in school, that the adults, if they need, are registered in language classes, that they get their social insurance number, that they apply for their health card, and so on and so forth. Wow, so it's it's really a big undertaking. It's a very big undertaking. Much as I would like to recruit sponsors, I do not want to seduce them either. If you're getting a group of your community together to do this, you're not going to get a charitable tax receipt for it. Not if you do it on your own. Okay, let's move to the bureaucratic requirements because that seems to be another hurdle. Yes, you have to work with a case. So... One would imagine that the federal government would be willing, happy, ready to match cases from overseas to sponsoring groups in Canada. Sadly, that is not the case. They do not have the capacity on the ground, uh, neither does the UN. So we may have sponsors for, you know, lining up, but we also need refugee cases that are approved by the government of Canada. The people's papers have to be checked. you know, security and medical clearances. And I think we've heard in the news a little bit in the last two days that these bureaucratic processes really strangle uh, an application. 
because some of the paperwork that is required is impossible to get. Uh, the wheels of, of, of the process move really slowly. My understanding is that one of the biggest hurdles is that refugees now have to be certified by the UN and the yes. UN can't get to them. Yes. Now, I know there's been a lot of criticism of the government about this, but, you know, I also remember a lot of cases where, along with refugees, you'd have war criminals coming in. The requirement can be waived, as Canada did waive it during the Indo-Chinese crisis. Now, I'm completely with you. Uh, we want real refugees, not uh, criminals or, or, or anything else. But we also have security clearances. Those have to happen regardless the government of Canada must make sure that every person coming into Canada is not a security risk. They have to have police checks, and that must be done. It's very uh, difficult to actually move from intention and raising money, but it is possible. Okay. Ratna Omidvar, thanks so much. You're so welcome. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. That was advocate Ratna Omidvar. She's on the board of Lifeline Syria, and that organization will be providing training and support for private groups who want to sponsor refugees. I'm Libby Snymer, and this is the Zoomer Week in Review. Coming up, they're in their 20s and they've grown up and graduated, but Zoomer parents are still paying the bills for adult children. Coming up, we'll look at the reality of family finances with CIBC personal finance expert, Jamie Golombek. It's a number that shocked the experts, but comes as no surprise to many Zoomers. The cost of supporting adult children who are out of school is draining parents' finances and putting retirement plans at risk. According to a new CIBC poll, one in four parents who support adult kids spend more than $500 a month to do so. For John Anderson, it's the second time a child has returned home. My 29-year-old son, who's a Juno-nominated um, electronic music producer, uh, came back off a tour last summer and said, uh, I need a place to live and uh, I, 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 I want to get off the road, so I need some time, some sanctuary, if you will, to get some things sorted out. How much do you figure that this has been costing you? I'm guessing probably with the food he eats and the transportation and I don't pay for his cell phone and he does cover off some things and I had to actually loan him some money, which he's really slow to pay back. I'm guessing, yeah, probably right in there with that CIBC average, somewhere around probably $500 a month, which is now not going into our retirement fund, which is then delaying the actual thought of, of being able to retire. You were at one point going to retire. You changed your mind. I was this close to a clean getaway, eh? and then I changed my mind, yeah. And I decided that if I got the opportunity to come back and do sort of a full-time job, I would, I would seriously consider that, partly because my own self-interest and partly because when you got somebody in the basement siphoning off the dollars, you need to top that up somewhere else. And so that's kind of how it's all worked out. John realizes the consequences may become worse down the road, but the bottom line here is not financial. I should say my wife, her son, also did this a couple of years ago. So it seems to be the trend, but ultimately, if you run into a jam, who, who can you turn to except family? They're living at home, and it's going to affect your retirement. You need to sit down with the kids and show them the numbers and say, look, we can't afford to pay for this cell phone anymore. You're going to have to chip in. 
That's Jamie Golombek, Managing Director, Tax and Estate Planning with CIBC, the bank that commissioned the poll. When you start paying for the kid's cell phone bill and you're continuing to pay for their car payments, as 23% of respondents said they were paying for their kids' car payments, uh, look, if the kids are still living at home and you're paying for a car, you're paying for their cell phone, they should be able to cover that themselves either through a part-time job or some type of employment that covers what I would call these luxuries of life. They're torn. Parents want to help their kids. Look, we all want to help the kids, and if we can afford to, I think that's great. Although at a certain point, you do want to build a self-independence. And if you just keep supporting them forever, I think it actually can lead to a devaluation of their own self-worth, and it can lead to other problems in terms of their own lack of independence later on, and there's a sense of you know, accomplishment in societies. What is the impact of people on an average income spending 500 bucks a month on their kids? I mean, that's $6,000 a year. Enormous amount of money. We asked them specifically that question. How does financially supporting your adult kids affect you? Half of them said it will cut into their personal ability to save, whether it's topping up an RRSP or a TFSA. Uh, 44% said it would impact the ability they have to travel, spend money on themselves. One in five said they would have to be forced to delay the age at which they wanted to retire. And in fact, 14% said it would actually delay the time in which they wanted to sell or downsize their home, probably because the kids are still living there. What do you tell people or suggest to people that they do to actually assess the impact of supporting their kids? I think it's very important that people sit down with an independent financial advisor and prepare a written financial plan. And what that will do is it will look at your current spending, your budget, um, how much you can afford to save. It will look at your retirement goals, when you want to retire, how much you need to retire. It will look at your investments, what rate of return can you reasonably expect, and how much you can afford to save. And that way you can determine how much you can actually afford to help out those kids on a monthly basis. I think it's only when you have an objective financial plan that's prepared that you can really make these decisions and look at the hard numbers to determine if you can continue to afford supporting the kids to the extent that you're currently doing. Okay. Jamie, thank you so much. My pleasure. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Jamie Golombek is Managing Director, Tax and Estate Planning at CIBC Private Wealth Management. I'm Libby Snymer, and this is the Zoomer Weekend Review. We'll take a quick break and then return to celebrate the birth of one of Northern Ireland's greatest musicians, Van Morrison. Welcome back to the Zoomer Week in Review, all things Zoomer worldwide. I'm Libby Snymer. It's time for your international arts date book. Tips for those of you who are jetting around the world. Here's Jane Brown. In New York City, playwright A.R. Gurney's Love and Money has its world premiere at Signature Theater. It's about a wealthy widow determined to donate almost everything she owns before her life ends. Actress Maureen Anderman says there's a lot of love in this play. A lot about love, different kinds of love, familial love, things we love, things we love in life, um, people we fall in love with, and about Money. Love and Money runs until October 4th. Now to England. (laughs) 
In London, the Tate Britain presents Barbara Hepworth's Sculpture for a Modern World, a major retrospective charting the artist's progress from her earliest carvings to her large-scale bronzes of the 1960s. It continues until October 25th. And in Argentina, it's the first Internet of Everything event in Latin America. It features the first innovations on virtual reality, neurocomputing, smart homes, and more. It takes place in Buenos Aires this coming week. I'm Jane Brown, and that's the International Arts Datebook. This week, Van the Man, Van Morrison, celebrated his 70th birthday. He's one of Northern Ireland's most famous musicians, perhaps best known for his transformative ability to write and sing in just about any genre of music. From rock to pop, jazz, Celtic, gospel, and country, he's done it all. The list of other musicians who consider Morrison an influence is quite long. U2's Bono, Elvis Costello, Bruce Springsteen, Elton John, and Rod Stewart are just a few who have acknowledged him as an influence on their careers. He's been inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, the Songwriters Hall of Fame, and just this year, he was knighted for his services to popular music. Right now, we'll hear one of his greatest hits, an iconic song written and recorded in 1967. Here is Brown-Eyed Girl. That was Van Morrison with Brown-Eyed Girl. Morrison celebrated his 70th birthday this week. And that brings us to the end of another edition of the Zoomer Week in Review. I'm Libby Snymer. Thanks for joining me today. Come back next week when we talk to blockbuster Canadian novelist Lawrence Hill about his new book, The Illegal. You've been listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, produced by MZ Media Limited. Executive producer, Moses Neimer. Produced by Paul Thomas. Program director, John Van Driel. This has been an exclusive podcast of the Zoomer Week in Review. Heard every Sunday at noon on AM 740 Zoomer Radio. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network. Home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air and The Garden Show.